You may know the routine already. You get a call from someone who says something's wrong, but they can help. This call is from Visa Credit Card Department. We have received two charges from your Visa Credit Card early this morning. The first charge is of $800 through Amazon gift cards and the second charge is through Apple iTunes International Gift Card which is of $1,000. We found this transaction suspicious and did not charge your Visa card as you have never purchased or used iTunes gift card services in the past. To cancel this charges press 1 or to allow the charges press 2. So if you're onto it, it's boring and irritating. And if you're not onto it, it may be very costly. But there is a man who calls himself Jim Browning who relishes getting these kind of calls. He scams the scammers. He is a software engineer who runs a YouTube channel under the pseudonym of Jim Browning where he posts videos about his fraud-fighting efforts, the success of which uh, sometimes result in arrests, but require him to remain anonymous, and he joins us now. Hello. Hello, Kim. Thanks for having me here. It's a very nice... Perhaps we could get you to talk about the rugby as well. No, Jim, listen. <laughs> that call oh, that we... Sorry about that. <laughs> that call that we just played... Yes. If I press the wrong number, what happens? Well, invariably, you will be speaking to a scammer. And I think you all, or probably everybody listening, has had a very similar call. And they seem to happen every single day. That particular bit of audio came directly from a scammer's server. So I was able to download that piece of audio and it's played to thousands and thousands of people in New Zealand. They were scamming people in New Zealand. The people who were doing it were based in India. A lot of the robotic call servers tend to be from scammers in India. And unfortunately, if you haven't, if you're not aware of that, it's a scam. They actually do sound quite similar to real bank messages, and that's why the scammers get the engagement that they do. It is true. I'm glad you raised the Indian issue because it is true that when one hears an Indian voice on the phone and it's usually, you know, on delay and really scratchy, then you know that it's not a genuine call. Why yes. are they yes. so, why are so many of these calls Indian? It's really sad because, you know, a lot it is true that the majority of telephone-based scams will originate in India, and there's a few reasons for it. I think the biggest one is probably expertise, know-how. It's not an easy thing to set up a scam call center, but thousands and thousands of companies from all sorts of countries have set up call centers in India, and the expertise is there. So I think that's probably the first and foremost one. The second one is, sadly, again, there's a lot of unemployment. If you're a young person, actually to get a job in one of those scam call centers is much more lucrative than a legitimate job. You can make an awful lot of money very quickly. And if you can park your conscience at the door, then 
you can make that money incredibly easily. And you just need to learn a script. There's nothing very technical you have to do. And as long as your English is up to it, then you're probably going to succeed. So I think all those things combined give kind of a perfect storm. The data is there, the people are there, and probably worst of all, the police don't really clamp down on that sort of activity. They don't see it as a priority. There's lots and lots of problems in India, but actually scamming foreigners is probably not high up on the police list. So put all those things together, and unfortunately, a lot of the calls will originate from that country. I haven't had any calls for a while, so your efforts must be paying off. <laughs> well, I'd like to think I make a small dent in it. At very least, I'd like to think that some scam organisations will think again. And I have had a bit of success in actually closing some of them down. Tell me about an example of that. I did watch one of your YouTube programs, posts, where you had video of the scammers with audio of them calling victims. How did you get that? Yes, well, this is where a lot of people do scam bidding, where, where they simply answer the phone call and just wind up the scam. That's you know, right, it's, and then put it in the fridge. Correct, yes, absolutely, and do all sorts of things. But I kind of go a little step further because I deliberately let scammers access my computer. And that's one thing you should never do. But I kind of know what I'm doing. And I've got it set up so that if they connect to my computer with a little bit of wizardry, I can go back to their computer. And of course, when I can go back to their computer, I can see exactly what they're up to, who else they're scamming. And if they happen to have CCTV or webcams, I can switch those on and actually look at the person virtually face-to-face -face who's trying to scam me or other people. So I put a lot of that material onto YouTube and on, just search for my name on YouTube and you should be able to see some of those things. But it is fascinating to be able to see who's actually calling you and work out how they operate. And are these centres entirely made up of scammers or are there genuine call centres that people are also scamming on the side? Yes. Well, if you're a big scam call centre, you absolutely need a side revenue because like any business, you'll have to declare your profits to the taxman. And in India, it is much, much easier to have a legitimate side business which does legitimate work. And then you can claim that all of the profits that you seem to be getting are coming from that side business. And I've seen lots and lots of examples of that. I've managed to infiltrate one organization who had a front as a travel agency. And of course, they would declare all their profits coming from that. But almost all of their business was actually scamming people in Australia, New Zealand, all over Europe and the USA. And it's very handy to have a little side company that you can sort of claim as your actual business. Of course, that's the large ones. There are smaller ones which will exclusively do scams and they'll probably run those scams overnight when, for example, the US daytime is, is, is running. And, I mean, I suppose it's impossible to say. Have you any idea how many scammers are working in India? 
Yeah, that's a very difficult one to answer. But, you know, personally, right at the moment, I can see at least 50 different scam call centers operating as we speak. And that, unfortunately, and that's only the tip of an iceberg. I, I would have to estimate this, but there are definitely hundreds, maybe into the thousands of these call centers, if you include the very small ones as well. Wow. And presumably they develop different tricks. As the wiser we get, the more they develop new methods and scams, do they? What's the latest? Well, the, the tactics always change. I mean, the, the the typical scam that's happening much, much more frequently these days is what they call a pig butchering scam. And, and that's a scam which combines two different types of scams. The first one is a romance scam. So initially you will get a, a strange message from someone you don't know, and it will be a message that uh, was supposedly sent by accident but then if that person will want to start a little conversation with you and build up a relationship with you and it becomes a bit of a romance scam but that's the romance scam isn't really what they're after what they want you to do is invest in some cryptocurrency and the pig fattening bit is basically them encouraging the victim to invest more and more into this and only when it's too late does the victim realize they can never withdraw that money. The money has gone. So the pig butchering scam is all about encouraging someone to invest in this. You will see on paper profits. But by the time you realize that actually I can never withdraw the money, it has gone. So that unfortunately is one of the big ones at the moment. Are you, there is a real thing, pig, but, pig butchering scam? Pig butchering scam, yeah. So if you haven't heard of that one before, it's 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 an unfortunate term, but it, it comes from um, a Chinese gang who originally set this this up, and they made a huge amount of money from it. It was probably only came to prevalence maybe one or two years ago, but I'm starting to see that sort of scam come in much more often than, for example, some of the telephone-based scams that we, we see and hear quite a lot. Are these organised crime? I mean, are you worried for your safety? Well, I personally, I don't even use my real name. So Jim Browning is my internet persona. Mm -hmm. I don't use my real name. I don't show my face on the videos. And it is for safety because... I do know and I can see that these scam companies make literally millions and millions of dollars. And for me personally, I don't want to take the risk. There are other people on YouTube who do something similar to me who aren't afraid to show their faces. But for my own safety, I prefer not to show my face or use my real name. And that keeps me safe to a degree, but I can, I can never you know, be too complacent about it. Yeah, th these gangs, and they are gangs, will take in millions, and that buys you an awful lot of influence. So, yes, I, I, I'm I, very careful when it comes to exposing these scams, and I do go to the right authorities, of course. It's not just about putting material onto YouTube. There's an awful lot of stuff that I can't publish because the police are doing their thing, and eventually I will be able to publish it. Can you speak Hindi? 
<laughs> my, my Hindi amounts to a little bit of uh, swearing, and that's about it. I, I've That'll come in years, handy, though. Oh, oh, the Indian um, swear words, uh, to be honest, I will hear echoed back to me anyway. So they are definitely some of the words that, that um, I know I know very well. But listen, I know enough of Hindi to roughly understand what the conversations are going on in the background. And as I can say, I can listen to other people's calls. And because of that, I, I can work out what's going on. So obviously they'll speak in English if they're trying to scam people in English. But occasionally, if I can hear their microphones, I will work out what they're saying in Hindi as well. I do get people to help me if I can't quite translate it. Um, and that always helps. So it's nice to be able to do that. And there's plenty of people in India willing to help me, which is what I've got to say. I mean, India, it's horrible to to kind of tar people with the one brush. It is, unfortunately, a, an international problem. And the, the real India or the people who actually help me uh, actually take down some of those scam call centers, that has to be said as well. So you were in the IT business, which enabled you to work out how to access these scams. But what started you doing it? Well, probably like everybody else, I was working at home and I would get lots and lots of these calls. They usually start off with, this is Microsoft, you've got a fault in your computer. And of course, Microsoft don't call you. And I knew that. And what really started me off was thinking, why am I getting these calls? And why isn't somebody doing something about them? <laughs> yes, how can and, this be happening? And, 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 you know, and I, a lot of other people ask exactly the same questions. Who, who is this that's trying to steal my money? And I guess there's the engineer head on me going, well, hang on, I know about computers. I know about networks. I know that if they want access to my computer, they've got a two-way link between their computer and my computer, and maybe I can exploit that. And that's exactly what I've done over the last six or seven years. And that post that I mentioned where you had the video of the scammers with the audio of them calling up victims, that was in a place called Gurugram. And I think you contacted the police in Delhi. Now, you said the police often aren't interested in doing anything about this. They've got, you know, other things to worry about. But you got somebody to liaise with them. You were on to it. What was the outcome of that case? Well, yes, that, that particular one, that was the travel agency that I mentioned earlier right. on. So they're running affronted as a travel agency. But what they were doing, usually in the evening times, was in a little back office, which I had the CCTV for, I could see them pretending to be Microsoft and charging people for unnecessary computer services. So I did contact the police in Gurugram, which is like at the outskirts of New Delhi. And yes, I was able to get someone there who was prepared to actually go in and raid this call center. And although I don't have footage of that, um, what I was able to glean was that they arrested the people at the very top. There was the boss and his accountant were arrested as a result. 
Now, unfortunately, this is when the pandemic kicked in. So it was really maybe a year and a half before I really found out exactly what happened to the bear. And the long and short of it was they couldn't find enough evidence themselves. This is the police could not find enough evidence to convict the pair, so they let them go. This was despite having all of the CCTV live conversations. I downloaded 70,000 audio files of victims being scammed, but they did not come to me once to ask for any of that, and they didn't find it themselves either. So you've got to wonder, how on earth could you not use at least some of my evidence? But what they say is, no, they have got to... Uh, get their own evidence and if they can't gather that evidence themselves then i can put any amount of videos onto youtube they cannot use that that's weird isn't it i mean you have to wonder whether that's laziness or incompetence or corruption yeah uh, unfortunately india hasn't got the best reputation when it comes to corruption and certainly the person who was at the very top of that chain making most of the money had a millionaire's lifestyle. He had a a $5,000 apartment, which if you per month, that's what he was paying. And that's completely unheard of in India. He was literally living a millionaire's lifestyle. And I'm pretty sure he got the top best lawyers possible. And they were arguing things like, well, I could have maybe uh, used AI, for example, to create the videos that I did, even though I had a separate documentary team from the BBC watching all of this live as well. Mm. So uh, all in all, it's very, very disappointing, and and that's to say the least. Speaking of AI, are they using that to nefarious purpose now? Um, In my experience, no, not yet. I think AI eventually may play a part in some of these scams but for the moment they don't it doesn't play a big role and and i know this for sure because i am literally able to see some of the scams unfold including those pig butchering ones some of the people pretend to be microsoft your bank whatever and so far they don't seem to be using ai if they are sending emails for example and a lot of them will send fake invoices to try and get people to call them some of the english is quite bad and i think in the very short term they may use ai to improve at least some of the messaging that they're sending to potential victims but for the moment i don't see a huge role in ai but of course that's going to change in the future and sometimes when people hear for example an indian accent they immediately think oh this could be a scam what i suspect will happen is there will be AI, which is able to change someone's voice or inflections so that they maybe tidy up their English. And if that happens, then I think we're all in trouble. Um, There's been a spate of, I've had them, uh, texts and emails saying, you owe so much in tolls, uh, pay it here. Or there's a parcel awaiting you. If you pay this amount, you can get it delivered. I fell for the one with the parcel because it was close to Christmas. I thought it seemed perfectly reasonable. But are they homegrown? Because they seem to be, you know, recognisably New Zealand institutions. Would they be homegrown scans? 
Not necessarily. I have seen a scammer, and again, I can see their PCs. I can see exactly how they work. And I did see one homegrown one. So this particular person was scamming people in the UK on from London, and I could see exactly what they were doing, how they were sending out the bulk SMS messages. And yes, sometimes it's homegrown. But in a lot of cases, it doesn't really matter where you are in the world. You can send SMS messages to any country and spoof the number. So it is very much an international thing. And for example, the message that you played at the very start of this call, like I say, the scammers there are in India, um, but they will spoof numbers and make it look like they are they have got a New Zealand number, and indeed, if they ever need you to call back for whatever reason, they will provide a New Zealand number to you, which of course will divert to India. So, absolutely, the scammers could be anywhere in the world. I particularly like the conversations you get into when they say, you know, you've got a trouble with your computer, turn your computer on. What do you normally do with your computer? And you say, I track down scammers. And they go, oh, yeah. <laughs> and when they connect to me, I can find out exactly who they are. Um, and you've had a weird conversation or two on this. He denies that he's a scammer. Why didn't he hang up sooner on you? The one I'm thinking of talked to you for quite a long time. Yes, some do. This is the thing. I kind of like to hear the backstory. And sometimes, as you say, Scammers will hang up immediately. As soon as you say the word, I think this is a scam or similar, most scammers will hang up at that point. But yeah, I do get people who have got a little bit of a conscience and they will talk to me for a lot longer than you'd expect. And in, in fact, I even spoke to a scammer yesterday and you know, most of them do hang up as soon as I kind of mention it. But I mentioned my name and he'd actually heard of my videos before, which was kind of unusual, but that happens more and more. And he actually offered to help me out. He, he said he was in the scam call center because he had no choice. And indeed, some people who are in that position do indeed have no choice. It's the only bit of work they can get. Now, I don't usually go after the people on the bottom rung, the people who actually are on the phones. I tend to go for the people high up in the organization, the people who are really making all of the money. So I asked him, could you help me out by just telling me what you see on your screen? And that's usually his robo-dial software. And if I get enough information about that, sometimes it is enough for me to be able to infiltrate that scam call center. So actually he was able to help me out just by reading out what was on his screen. So yes, I get help from people who are inside those call centers and some of them give me access to those scam call centers PCs. But you think some people have signed up to a legitimate job and then find themselves trapped, economically trapped in, a, in a scam center? That's right. Um, sometimes the job adverts that are sent out, they'll never say the word scam on it, but only when you're in a scam call center for maybe a few days do you actually realize 
this isn't the job that I expected it to be. This job seems to be scamming people. And although you think it might be obvious, if you're a graduate fresh out of university and you've never had experience of what a scam call center is and what a, a scam script looks like, then at least for the first few days, you mightn't realize you're involved in a scam. And some people are genuinely in that position. Now, eventually, you will have no doubt what you're into. And some people will obviously continue that. But others are definitely economic victims of this. They're as much victims of the crime as the people that they, they, they scam. You're in the business of spooking them enough to make them close down. Do you think that that's what happens? Sometimes. Um, I have managed to, even without the police being involved, I have managed to get several scam call centres shut down. And that can be as simple as breaking up their scam. That bank scam, the, the audio that was played at the start, usually is in two sections. The first bit is where they call people and get a little bit of personal information from the victims. But the second part will be that the victim has to call another phone number. And at the end of that phone number is another part of the second part of the scam, the, the bit where they will actually persuade the victim to go to their bank and transfer money. And if I can break that scam up by for example, bombarding the phone number that they're asking their victim to use with a lot of kind of fake calls of my own and basically tie up the scammers, oh. then I have very been able to very successfully bring them down. I've also even changed the audio message that you heard at the start of the call to one of my own because I understand the systems that they use to make the phone calls. And because I have that understanding, I'm able to change the messages. So one, one of the messages, for example, was very similar to that, we are your bank, someone spent however many dollars. I have changed that to say, this is a scam message from <laughs> scammers in India. And if you want to waste their time, you can press one, but please don't tell them I've changed the message. <laughs> I actually put that onto one of their calling systems, and that was that proved very successful. It was very satisfying watching them up their call rate, wondering why they weren't getting as many replies as they normally would. And, of course, that was all costing them money, which was a win-win, really. Oh, you're getting too much pleasure out of this. Oh, it, it's great. I, I, I've got to admit... <laughs> And you can probably tell from the way I'm speaking, I love just annoying them. So even if I can't shut them down, even to keep them being annoyed or to throw in little things along the way just to kind of make their day a little bit worse, it's always worth doing. This must take an awful lot of your time. Yes. Um, I Up until about a year ago, I had, if you like, a real job. I was not... I was not a YouTuber, well, not full-time anyway, but about 100 or so videos up. But that's over the space of maybe six, seven, eight years. And until last year, I had a real job. So balancing that real job with looking into scams and scammers and editing videos, was it was quite difficult to balance that. So as of last year, 
I'm now a full-time YouTuber. That's how I make my money these days. So yes, it's uh, it's an awful lot easier these days. Is it is it is it more lucrative for you to do this than it was for you to work in your day job? Uh, it, it is at this point because I have got quite an audience now for the videos, and whenever I release a new one, it it can get millions of hits, and because of that, then through advertising revenue. I'm able to make money. So these days, I mean, obviously at the start of all of this, uh, there's no way I would be able to afford to do what I am doing right at the moment. But these days, no, it is quite lucrative. They are incredibly persuasive. I mean, as you said, in some cases, they actually manage to get people to leave their homes, go to a bank, do something with an account. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, and everybody thinks there is no way on earth that anyone who's in any has got a, a right mind would do such a thing. But what they don't hear is the persuasive techniques that the scammers actually use. And that's why it's good to listen to some of the scam phone calls. When I expose a scam and put it on YouTube, I put in all of the gory details. I put in a lot of the language that the scammers use. And believe me, absolutely anyone can fall for a scam, including you, me, anyone at all. And if you think that you won't or never will fall for a scam, you need to think seriously about this. Because if the scammer gets a bit of information right, even if it's a coincidence, then anyone can fall for a scam. Now, when it comes to persuading people to go into their bank, they will actually have a narrative around this. They will say that someone in your local branch must be stealing this money. And when you go into the branch, you must not mention that someone has called you from the bank security department and we're going to set up a new account for you to safeguard your money. And you must move that money into this new account to make sure that no one steals it. So when you listen to all of that, and it's a narrative that's been built up, and don't forget these people are professionals. They they know exactly what they're doing. They know the right responses to make. They do this every single day. This is their job. They are incredibly persuasive. And only small things like their accent or very tiny bits of grammar errors could in any way alert people. And believe me, they know exactly what to say. So it is one of those things that if you hear it and you recognize some of the symptoms of a scam, someone tells you, keep this quiet or make sure you go on your own, don't go with other people, that sort of thing. That's what everyone should be listening out for because those are the hallmarks of a scam. The elderly are obviously most at risk um, because they have home phone lines more than most other people, uh, landlines. And that seems to be one place where scammers focus. But all of us are, as you say, vulnerable. How have you been scammed? Yes, uh, you're right. The, I mean, scammers deliberately target landlines. They do, as you say, they tend to be, uh, it's mostly older people who will typically have a landline. The The call times match the New Zealand, the Australian daytime. As time goes on, they will 
do the same thing in the daytime for Europe and the daytime for the USA. That's nighttime, the overnight shift in, in India. But, I mean, even I have been scammed. There was someone, for example, who reached out to me about, uh, about my YouTube channel. And to cut a, quite a long story short, they persuaded me that they really were from YouTube Google and managed to convince me to delete my YouTube channel. And honestly, if if I can fall for a scam, <laughs> then anyone can. You know, I managed to get it back. They, they, they were interested in the revenue. They never got that part of it. But it went far enough that I actually deleted my own channel. So, like I say, anyone can fall for a scam. Somebody wants to know whether you can help with ransomware. Yes. Um, I think the short answer for me anyway is no. Basically, unless I see the scam happening in front of my own eyes, in other words, I have already got access to a scammer's computer, then then and only then could I help because I can find out who the scammers are, where they are, and so on. When it comes to ransomware, that means that your computer is already encrypted and you've probably got some message in your screen saying you've got to pay such and such a ransom. By the time that's happened, I'm afraid there's very few people who can help there, but go to the right authorities for that one. Do you ever manage to get refunds for victims? Um, yes, is the short answer. I, Because I can see the scammers' computers, I sometimes can pick up lists of victims. So scammers, they bonus each other based on the number of people and the amount that they scam. So I can use that same information to contact victims. Sometimes victims don't even realize that they have been scammed, particularly if it's the Microsoft type one. And I've written, well, emails to a lot of people to say, here's here's what happened, here's how much you were scammed, go to your credit or debit card company and dispute the payment and you may be able to get it back. It's not always guaranteed and it depends on the type of scam. But yes, some people can get their money back if they're lucky. I mean, essentially you're a vigilante, right? Um, yes and no. I guess I when I get access to Scammer's computer, uh, that part of it is strictly illegal. I'm accessing somebody's computer without their permission. But at the same time, they are scamming me. They are accessing my computer without my permission. And although two wrongs don't make a right, if I ever got a complaint, I wouldn't worry too much about that because for someone to make a complaint, they will have to expose themselves as a scammer because I've recorded the whole interaction. So that part of it, I'm not too worried about. But yes, um, if if I need to go to the police, I will do that. Uh, if I get enough information and let the to let the police do their jobs, definitely I will do that part. Um, but a vigilante, as far as taking the law into my own hands, no, I wouldn't describe it as that. But absolutely, I am not afraid to access a scammer's computer and expose them. And if that's what you call a vigilante, then that's absolutely what I do. Do you think the banks should be doing more to protect people? I think the banks, it's hard to say. Yes, there is always more that banks can do. 
um, I have my own bank and they do send warnings about particular sorts of scams. I get messages on my online banking system from time to time, and it's usually always good advice. I think where banks could do better is responding to scams. So if they know that there's, you know, Amazon scams are particularly rife, people pretend to be Amazon or send you an Amazon bill and they will claim to be Amazon. For example, with that sort of scam, if someone has had money stolen because a scammer has managed to access their bank account, then it is very, very easy to fall for that sort of scam and banks at least should be able to compensate people for that. I'm not sure what the laws are in New Zealand, but certainly in the UK, if you are a victim of an online scam like this, banks are obliged to refund victims. And I hope and hopefully that's the same in New Zealand. Yeah, there is there is refunding, but on some occasions with some banks, there is not. Uh, there's a case at yeah. the moment where people paid an awful lot of money, several people paid an awful lot of money to uh, something that purported to be a financial institution investment and lost it all. And the bank is not refunding them. So, I don't know, I suppose it depends on how much personal responsibility you can cheat home, does it not? Uh, yes. I mean, obviously, when, particularly when it comes to investment scams, and if that's what that poor yeah. victim has suffered from, um, yes, you absolutely have to do your homework. But at the same time, there's a limit to the amount of homework you can do. Because sometimes, even if you're very technical like me, it is very difficult to distinguish between a real investment company and a fake one. And if they've copied or cloned websites and it, you know all of the hallmarks that you would normally expect a scam to have just don't appear, then absolutely, if someone has fallen for a scam like that and it's sophisticated enough and they're not being negligent, then absolutely the banks should be able to help victims that way. I hope you never turn to the dark side, Jim, because you'd clean up if you did, wouldn't you? You know exactly how to get money out of people. Well, put it this way, I, I could probably run the scams better than the people who are currently running them. I've, <laughs> I've heard so many different phone calls in my life that I absolutely can guarantee that I would make a great scammer if I decided to go that way. But fortunately, uh, I absolutely loathe and detest scammers, which is the reason why I do this. So, no, I'm not going to be turning to the dark side anyway soon. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Jim Browning, he calls himself. He runs a YouTube channel which details his uh, often successful attempts to scam the scammers. And there is a link to it on our webpage.